back to all over the place exercises in E Pluribus Unum, AOTP. With us today, as always, of course, co-host Jim Culver. Hello, Jim. Party on, Wayne. <laughs> all right. Uh, and uh, today we have with us the Showman Fellow on Popular Culture for the David Horowitz Freedom Center, Mark Taps. And Mark, welcome to All Over the Place. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Well, and the uh, reason I wanted to bring you on, uh, in addition to you just being someone who I've enjoyed reading and, and, and knowing back in my Los Angeles days, uh, crossing paths with you on more, more than uh, one occasion, yes. uh, you, you, you have a, a podcast of your own coming up. And, I do. Uh, and please tell us a little bit about uh, that. It's going to be on the uh, David Horowitz Freedom Center platform, right? Yes, I am. Um... I held out as long as I could. Um, I, in terms of having my own podcast, I, I think I'm probably the last person over the age of 12 who does not have his own podcast. So I held out as long as I could. And finally, the David Horowitz Freedom Center, which I work for, um, they have decided to create a couple of podcasts, one for me and one for another of our authors. And um, so it's launching about September 7th. I, I can't be 100% certain about that because it's also um, linked to the launching of the new website, uh, our new flagship website, which is frontpagemag.com. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if, so when, if, if that's ready to launch on September 7th, then my podcast will also. And it's, uh, it's going to be called The Right Take with Mark Tapson. That's me. <laughs> and um, I already actually have a couple of episodes, a couple of interviews anyway, in the can. I interviewed... Dinesh D'Souza just last week, this last week, and also author Heather McDonald, both of whom were just awesome guests. So, so I'm off to a good start in terms of, uh, you know, fairly high powered guests. Absolutely. And with you as the, as I mentioned, the, the, the pop culture uh, in, in your title, uh, Dinesh D'Souza, of course, we know from, you know, from his many documentaries and uh, Heather McDonald, great author. So I uh, just, uh, what kind of, you know, I, across the the spectrum of things what what will the focus be on or just uh yeah that, that's a good question i um, it's it's kind of the same focus as the writing that i've done for a long time which is the intersection of politics and culture and by that i mean um you know just sort of anywhere not not what i would call strictly political issues you know like writing about the the budget or um certain political races but places where the culture has been politicized. In other words, the, the whole culture war that we talk about. Mm -hmm. um, and these days, you know, literally every sphere of life has been politicized by the left. There's no escaping it. So, um, so it's just anywhere where the culture war is raging, and uh, that's going to be kind of the focus of it. And why do you think, or, or what, what are some of your theories on why the left just feels the need to infect everything, especially when so many things appear to be blowing up in their face, whether it's, you know, the woke culture failing at the box office or TV or just anything that it touches. Why do you think they feel the need to touch everything when the, the definition of one of the definitions of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, you know, conservative as conservatives, we generally don't want politics to be part of our daily lives. I mean, we, most of us don't, want to have to think about politics or deal with politicians or deal with any of it. We want all that out of our lives. We want politics to impact our lives really minimally, you know, so that we can get on with the other <laughs> other things in our lives that we care about. 
that's not the case with the left. The left makes has made politicizing everything basically a religion. You know, political mm-hmm. activism is their god, and it's been that way for many decades now. If you think back to the late '60s or maybe 1970s, somewhere in there, that that feminist phrase, "the personal is the political," that was kind of their their slogan at the time, the personal is the political. And that was kind of the left's declaration that every single aspect of life must be politicized because they have this very, they they want to try to spread a revolutionary consciousness um, and a revolutionary activism. You know, their goal is to overthrow everything, every institution, every uh, tradition, every one of our heroes, the constitution, uh, is, is to overthrow everything and burn it all to the ground and build utopia on top of that in the name of social justice. And so so everything must be politicized. Um, sports, entertainment, uh, you know, who gets to use which bathrooms, everything in our lives now um, has been politicized by the left because that's because they see everything as an arena for political activism and in, uh, an arena in which to push their agenda. So that's why you know there's there's just no there doesn't seem to be any respite anywhere that you look from this constant political conflict, and it's really uh, it's really exhausting for conservatives. Uh, you know, my friend Michael Walsh, the the writer, often says that. He often reminds us that the left never sleeps, they never quit, they never stop. And, and that's true. And unfortunately, what that means is we have to do the same in order to stay in the game, in order to to um, to win in this uh, this culture war. We, we have to sort of fight on every level in every sphere of life. Uh, and, and to quote my man, George Thurgood, who I'll be seeing in a couple of days, but I'm tired. But I'm tired. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's 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 pretty exhausting. Like I said, conservatives, you know, we we want to get past all this. We just want to enjoy life and enjoy our liberties, and uh, and um, we have to think about politics all the time. Uh, it's kind of exhausting, but uh, we have to keep up the fight. I, I absolutely yeah. no. Uh, I'm going to borrow a line from from first Tom Petty. You did uh, rest in peace. I won't back down. And also, just because it, it, it seems to be bothering him a lot lately, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crib a line from uh, Mr. D. Snyder, and we're not going to take it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, and for the record, I am not wearing a MAGA hat or maggot hat, <laughs> uh, as he likes to say. So I'm uh, just – it's just the sentiment, D. Nothing, nothing more, nothing less. And I will drop and give you 20 if you want me to. <laughs> you know, I do know some conservatives who – well, let me just back up a little bit and, and begin by saying that there is kind of a pessimism, kind of a pessimistic streak to conservatism that stems from the fact that unlike the left, we don't look at the world from a utopian standpoint. We're, we're very conscious and aware of the the frailties and the fallen nature of human nature. Mm-hmm. And so we know that Anytime we try to engineer utopia uh, of any sort, it turns into a dystopia. <laughs> and um, so, so I, I do know some, some conservatives who feel like, well, 
it's over with. You know, they look at what's going on in the world and what's going on in America, and they think, you know, the American experiment is done. It's over with. It had a good run, but it, it, you know, our time was limited because we're in the face of this relentless leftist will to power, you know, and, and uh, my feeling is, you know, screw that. We, we need to fight. Um, we need to fight. Uh, the American experiment is not over. Or if we, if we don't want it to be over, we need to fight. Um, civilization, you know, has, has faced uh, moments of, what seemed like the end of things before, and we always overcame it. You know, the Roman Empire fell, and we eventually overcame that. <laughs> and then uh, various other points in history, things looked really bad. We just need to keep fighting, and we will prevail. No retreat, baby. No surrender. Yep. Take that, Springsteen. So, and you know, <laughs> but but as as we put up this fight and this resistance, and you mentioned some conservatives who are unwilling or just they they are too exhausted. What has always uh, bugged me, uh, one of the things, and I, I know Jim, I'm, I want him to jump in on this one as well, is a frustration with those on the right who take a, a perverse pleasure in being ignorant about certain, uh, they probably display their ignorance of pop culture, yes. which is where, which is where this, this battle is. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, like who Alec Baldwin, who God, don't be stupid. You've got to know who these people are because they are the enemy. Yeah. Oh yeah. That is an excellent point. And I bring this up all the time whenever, well, often in my writing and whenever I speak publicly, I bring this up. I do think that conservatives in general are starting to catch on about the importance of pop culture more than we have for the last 50 or 60 years. Um, unfortunately, the left has spent the last 50 or 60 years completely taking over that culture because they early on recognized the importance of it and the significance of it. They knew what, uh, what we are beginning to know now, as the late great Andrew Breitbart used to say, is that politics flows downstream from culture. So they've spent the, the left has spent the last 50 or 60 years infiltrating and dominating all of the different spheres of the culture, you know, whether it's the media, the news media, or the arts, or entertainment, or academia. And now they own the culture. I, I sometimes say that despite the fact that we talk about the culture war all the time, we lost the culture war quite a while ago. Mm -hmm. We're not we're we're not really in a position to wage a culture war, but we are in a position to wage a culture insurgency. Um, and the good news about that is that an insurgency is often a very powerful tool against an entrenched power or an entrenched regime. So, and I do think we're starting to get some momentum on our side, um, but you know, we're, it's an uphill battle. And to get back to your point, um, there are a lot of conservatives who do take a kind of a pride in having turned their backs on the culture. They, I hear this very often. They'll say, I canceled my Netflix. I don't give Hollywood a dime of my money. I haven't seen a movie in years or been to a theater in years. I don't know what's going on and I don't care. And I get that impulse. I totally get it because mm -hmm. as a conservative, you very often get sick of being sucker punched in a movie, you know, when you, you, you or your values are ridiculed. You get tired of the woke Hollywood messaging. You get tired of their hypocrisy and their political grandstanding and their blathering at, at uh, award shows, you know, about uh, their, their political uh, perspectives. 
I totally get that. However, when we take ourselves out of the culture stream by turning our back on Hollywood or on the music industry or whatever, then we take ourselves out of the fight and the culture will just flow on without us. And um, that does not that doesn't help us at all. We, we've got to, we have to do one of two things. We either need to reclaim the culture or at least reclaim an, an, a significant presence or even an equal role in the culture or, and Dinesh D'Souza brought this up in my interview with him the other day, we need to create a parallel culture. Uh, and that's kind of where things are headed now, I think. I think that's where a lot of conservatives are looking forward. They're thinking, we can create a parallel culture. We don't have to do everything through Hollywood. Technology has made, has really democratized things now so that it is possible for us to create our own entertainment for our own audiences um, and to, uh, to, you know, just basically reach out to each other and create a parallel culture of sorts. So it'll be interesting to see how all that develops. But uh, that's kind of what we're looking at now. Exactly. And and, and Jim, I I, I want to bounce back to uh, that point that Mark made and Dinesh also mentioned. But Jim, what, what your, your take on the the uh, the lo love of ignorance amongst the <laughs> well, right. I, def I definitely share Mark's frustration about uh, about many conservatives and their kind of pride and ignorance of the the culture, especially these days. And as you said, uh, Breitbart famously said that politics is downstream from culture, which it most certainly is. But if you go to his website and you see commenters that are constantly bragging, I haven't seen a yeah. movie in 30 years, you yeah. know, and something like that. And, and, you know, you see people that are just smugly raising white flags in the culture war. And that can be very frustrating. But at the same time, I would say that there, there is hope especially in, uh, in younger folks, uh, not just young conservatives, but young centrists and even some young liberals uh, who I see, a, I see are, are much more awake to the culture war than, uh, than older folks. People in their, in their teens, 20s, and 30s uh, are very aware of what's going on, especially with woke culture, uh, mm -hmm. how it's taking over cartoons, video games, movies, all of these things that, that, that young Americans love. And if you look at the backlashes that are going on right now against, uh, you know, a lot of these new shows like She-Hulk and, and some of these others that are extremely woke, and there's just, there's just absolutely no tolerance for this kind of messaging. Uh, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the, new, uh, the new Lord of the Rings show, which I, I, think, I think Amazon spent something like $500 million on or some insane number, uh, <laughs> is just getting, you know, every, every YouTube video about it or trailer is getting downvoted. Uh, into oblivion by people that just don't want to see Tolkien's vision ruined by this by this kind of, of uh, identity politics messaging. And so I'm seeing, you know, it, it's it's kind of an interesting dualism because I'm, I personally am seeing a lot of white flags with with people who should be engaging in the culture war. And then and then people that are that are on the younger side that you wouldn't expect to are very much awake and very much engaged with it. And I find that fairly hopeful, but it is frustrating to see so many conservatives more my age uh, and older that just don't seem to get it, don't seem to see the value in it. And, and worse, don't want to get it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I don't know if anything can make them wake up at this point, because I feel like a lot of them have just walked away. I agree with all that. One time I gave a speech um, in which I focused 
almost entirely on pop culture. And I'm I, in the process of that, I mentioned a bunch of movies and, uh, and actors, and these were not obscure indie films or something that no one had seen. A lot of them were blockbusters, you know, and after my speech, this gentleman came up to me and said, I found that all very interesting and very enlightening. He said, but I got to tell you, I didn't recognize a single title, movie title or actor that you mentioned. And I thought, dear God, it's worse. <laughs> it's worse than I thought it was. Um, but I, I do think you're right that among a younger generation, it's it's changing. And there is we are seeing a backlash. And that makes me optimistic and hopeful. And also that they're a more tech savvy generation, too. Uh, the, one of the problems for me is that it, it is that a lot of moneyed conservatives still don't get that message or the, or they're reluctant to uh, to open up their purse strings, you know, because the moneyed people, the rich people on the left, they have no problem at all hurling hundreds of millions of dollars at uh, conservative, I mean, sorry, at uh, leftist messaging in the culture. And, uh, but conservatives, man, I'm telling you, I've been in rooms where I or, and or other people have tried to pitch cultural projects and they seemed like they would be like they would really be big hits among conservative audiences, but you can just see that these these moneyed conservatives just they can't bring themselves to loosen the purse strings over you know over a venture that might not have a a, a, a you know a positive rate of return you know or a guaranteed rate of return. Um, and that's that's frustrating is is trying to get I think there are a lot of conservative artists out there and writers and, and ideas for cultural projects. But getting the money to produce those things is the, the hurdle to overcome now. Right. And conservatives, by their nature, are, are risk averse. I mean, that's part of what makes, yeah. makes us conservatives. So that, yeah. that can be a very strong, uh, very, very, very high mountain to climb to try to convince people people who are by na nature risk averse to be willing yeah. to take that on. And, and I understand that, you know, if I were a businessman, you know, and had a lot of money, I, you know, I'd be, uh, I'd be concerned about getting my money back too. But as I said, on the left, they have no trouble doing that. And they, they think in terms of moving the needle of the culture. You, you know, you look at someone like Barack Obama, for example, who, when he left, well, first of all, he was, he was kind of considered the first pop culture president, you know, because he understood the significance of all that. But when he left the White House, you know, where did he do, go? Where did he go and what did he do? He didn't just ride off into the sunset uh, to take on the role of elder statesman or whatever. He went to Netflix and made a multi-million dollar deal to produce progressive content, you know. So as soon as he left the White House, he went straight to uh, an outlet that would help him create Cons uh, progressive cultural messaging. And that's the kind of awareness and um, incentive or, or uh, activism that we need on, on our side. And that's why I'm glad, you know, getting back to what you're talking about with uh, Dinesh D'Souza mm -hmm. mentioning the parallel culture. And I'm glad that, you know, the places like um, Daily Wire and, and Breitbart uh, media are, are getting, are dipping their toes into the water with things, which yeah. I think is great. And, and we had Nick Searcy on to talk about terror on the prairie. 
uh, on, on our first show. And great idea, but a double flawed part to that. The, uh, the distribution, they're not going, it's just streaming only. Mm. And, and in a time, especially when, when you look at a, a movie like Top Gun Maverick, <laughs> we'll make money with, with that yes. with unwoke uh, content. And all and Terror on the Prairie is just a gorgeous Western that needs to be screened or screened on a big screen. It needs to be mm-hmm. seen on the big screen. And you know, My Son Hunter's coming up. Um, the, the Robert Davi directed one that uh, uh, Philem and uh, Anne uh, mm-hmm. produced. And my best my best friend wrote the script for that actually. Um, Brian Gadawa he wrote that mm-hmm. that script. And so I mean, so it's I think it's great to create a, a parallel. Uh, a, a parallel culture and attract people to that. But at the same time, are we just, are we limiting ourselves by simply preaching to the choir and not yeah. getting it out there into, into the movie theaters? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a problem. Yes, that is a problem. And also um, there is a problem with creating content for a purely conservative audience. I mean, um, I mean, there is an audience out there, a conservative audience that is really hungry for it. And they, they will just take the lowest quality <laughs> art. You know, they'll just eat up the lowest quality kinds of movies and the, and the, the lamest, heaviest handed messaging as long as it's conservative. And we don't really want that. You know, we want to create we want to create good art, period, not just conservative art. Um and and creating good art will, as you suggested, reach more people. Uh, you know, you can have a Top Gun Maverick that reaches countless people, and it, and it it doesn't it doesn't have any heavy handed right leaning conservative messages. Um, so there is a problem with aiming just at a conservative audience. Um, so and, and that's a tight rope that I think conservative artists have to. To, to tread carefully, you know, we, we want to create good art. We don't want to create something that's just lame, but we'll still make money because it was, uh, you know, because we've got an audience that's, that's so hungry for it, they'll take anything. Um, so yeah, that, that's something conservative artists need to be aware of. And I, I, I think there are, you know, there are a lot of conservative people in Hollywood, actually, they have to kind of have to keep their heads down, generally speaking, but sure. It is possible within the the big studio system to make movies like Top Gun, uh, as long as you get the right people behind them, and or like what's another like um, what's is it? Oh, The Dark Knight Returns. I think it was. I think that's another one that was super conservative, but oh, yeah, it didn't. All, all of them, it, the Nolan movies very yeah. much have always have a, an undercurrent of conservatism. And absolutely. Yeah, but they they don't wear it on their sleeve. You know, it's just yeah, they don't uh, beat you over the head with it. Exactly. Yes, and that's what we really want to aim for, and we want to reach everybody. Of course, I mean, I think there's room for both, but uh, you know, just to reiterate my point, a conservative artists, I think, um, need to be they need to rise above just you know, just, um, pleasing, just preaching to the choir. Right. And, and maybe, and as much as I enjoyed the movie flawed though, it was that maybe in the back of people's minds are just the, the flop that was an American Carol. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that <laughs> uh, I haven't seen that in a long time, but 
that's you know that's the sort of thing where um i mean it is what it is and it it its audience enjoyed it but it's not going to rise to the level of where we need to be as, as um, conservative filmmakers and and creators and culture changers mm-hmm. i think and... we built a parallel culture that just had uh, uh just had creative freedom i think a lot of conservatism would come out of that all by itself uh because mm-hmm. you know as people like to say the facts of life are conservative and <laughs> yes when hollywood had more creative freedom a lot of a lot of movies that they made were more more conservative simply by default because that's where the story went mm-hmm. and so so i think you know when we talk about building a parallel culture i think that you know if we can put creative creative freedom uh first and foremost then i think a lot of what we want will come out of it naturally mm-hmm. and i know i'm looking forward to everything that you know with uh, that's coming up with, with your podcast mark and i and i certainly and i and i don't want to keep you too long today because i know you you've got the this amazing family and all these girls <laughs> you've got to take care of but I, and, and in regards to those girls uh now as you know the fellow on popular culture how much do your daughters help keep you hip with music and movies or vice versa <laughs> how much do you influence them well, it's it's 100% me influencing them, and the reason is, well, first of all, let me say that my my daughters are all very. I've got I've got four daughters um, and a son on the way, actually, but I have four daughters now, and uh, they're all quite young. They're all under the age of 13. One of them is just you know about to turn three. The only pop culture that they're familiar with is what my wife and I have kind of carefully curated for them. Um, and also we homeschool. So, Mm -hmm. so they're, they are so, um, they've been so insulated, I guess you could say from the excesses of pop culture. And that was by design. Uh, my wife and I were part of a homeschooling community, also a Catholic homeschooling community. And we're, you know, we're very concerned about, making sure that we raise our children right before we begin before we begin letting them get exposed to just you know everything that's out there so we you know we monitor what they watch and um and and we talk to them about what they watch what they see i mean we're not not super rigid about it but we we just have to be careful about making sure everything is age appropriate you know and these days, that's a problem because the left has no limits anymore about what they consider to be age appropriate. So it's, you know, it's one thing for our 12 year old daughter to see something that that she's mature enough for us to talk to her about. But, you know, the younger ones, uh, we just don't want to open up those those cans of worms yet. Um, so we're very we're very careful about what pop culture they're ex- they are exposed to. Um, so yeah, so they, at this point they are not keeping us hip to anything <laughs> except insofar as, uh, as you know, we, uh, all watch something together or, you know, my wife and I check it out first. That's not to say, you know, that, that all they do is sit around and watch, um, um, I don't know, Andy Griffith or something <laughs> like they, they don't even like that. They don't like anything that's black and white that it look, it's weird to them to see something in black and white that, you know, they, they can't uh, kind of adjust aesthetically to it. Um, I mean, we, you know, they, they watch some current popular movies, 
but uh, like I said, we, you know, my wife and I have to sort of uh, just make sure that that what they're seeing is is age appropriate and doesn't introduce something that it's too soon for us to talk about. Well, they have a father who has a Facebook cover photo of medieval Knievel. <laughs> so I know they're in good hands. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of a a. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'm a medieval nut in a way. Um, that's that's a long story, but uh, I, I am teach. I have taught my girls a lot about knights and chivalry and the Middle Ages and things like that, the legends of King Arthur and all that stuff. Um, and uh, so they're they're really up on that stuff. All of the Middle Ages. Once again, they're in good hands. I knew it. So thanks. And you know, and and, and with uh, you know, with September seventh uh, fast approaching. Uh, uh, just make uh, want to make sure people are are tuning into your podcast and, and welcome to the podcast world. And yeah, uh, thank you. I know so, uh, it's at the David Horowitz Freedom Center platform. So I mean, but how how can they access? Uh, like, where do they need to go to hear the right take with Mark? You know, I'm I imagine we're going to put it up on all like all the usual platforms or something. Uh, the podcasting outlets, but I you know I, at this point I think they're just going to have to check in at uh, frontpagemag.com. Um, when the time comes and, uh, you know, I'll try to spread the word on social media and stuff, but, uh, but for now, as far as I know, that's, that's where it's going to show up first. And then everywhere where, uh, fine podcasts are listened to. Well, Mark, definitely. Thanks for joining us here on all over the place. And oh, thanks will, for having will, me. It was fun. You guys, I will, I'll, I'll keep the eyes open on, on the social media platforms and then uh, make sure to let our listeners know when, uh, when and where they can check out the right take with Mark Tapson and love to have you back down the line. Uh, once things are, are rolling with you and uh, just do a little check-in. Oh, that'd be great. Thanks a lot, you guys. Oh, thank you, Mark. Our pleasure. Thanks, take Mark. care. Good to be too. All right, Jim, thus ends another episode of all over the place. All right. So, Great talking with you, my friend, and uh, everyone, thanks for tuning in to All Over the Place, Exercises in E Pluribus Unum. We on the AOTP team, thank you, and uh, check out more podcasts down the line. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.